Al Jazeera podcast. She promised a tough stance against undocumented migrants, but Italy's prime minister is now facing an increase in the number of people arriving by boat. So, what's behind this rise? And has the security approach failed? I'm Mohammed Jamjoum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. In Rome, Andrea De Petris, Scientific Director at the Center for European Policy. In Berlin, Badr Dabbar, a former Syrian refugee who took a dangerous journey on a smuggler's boat 10 years ago that landed in Italy, and an author of an upcoming book. Also in Rome, Ferdinando Nelli Ferrocci, president of the Institute of International Affairs. He's also a former permanent representative of Italy to the European Union. A warm welcome to you all. Thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. But let me start with you today. When talking about this issue, we mustn't forget the plight of so many people, whether they are migrants or refugees, who are so desperate that they do whatever they can to take these extremely dangerous journeys in order to try to start a new life, in order to try to get somewhere where they can set up a future for themselves and their family. So many people perish when they are trying to cross the sea, when they are trying to reach safety. You yourself were able to reach Italy, I was told, in 2014. I want to ask you about that journey and what that experience was like for you. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, thanks for everyone involved covering this important subject. Um, when you were talking about people, um, it, it's tragedies, people going down um, while trying to cross uh, the sea to get a better life. Like you said, this is not something that people do for fun. This is not something that people who are happy just decide, I'm going to do this. This These are people who are just like me, we're having a very, very tough time. And like it says, desperate time called for desperate measures. So um, it is not something that anyone should go through uh, willingly unless they are 100% forced to do so by the pressure of life or what kind of situation they are going through. Um, uh, my, my journey in 2014 was... Um, similar to many, many people who are going through it since and before and still. And um, I'm, I'm scared to say that it will keep on happening. Um, my journey were a little bit longer than the journey uh, to, from Tunisia to Lampedusa because I, I, I left through, through, uh, from Egypt. Uh, my journey took um, eight days, eight, seven days until we arrived in Italy um, in 2014, like you mentioned. Uh, Andrea, um, you heard Butter there talk about the fact that, you know, he, he's fearful that this is just going to continue to, to keep happening. It's estimated that over 100,000 migrants have arrived in Italy since the start of the year. That's according to data from the Interior Ministry. That's almost double the number of migrants that were recorded arriving in the same period in 2022. Clearly, whatever approaches have been taken by the EU by Italy, um, they have not worked as far as trying to staunch the flow of migrants. The EU keeps investing in security measures. I want to ask you if that is the right approach here. Would they not do better by trying to come up with a different framework? 
definitely, this is the point that many researchers have been uh, stressing in, in recent years. As long as the EU and Italy only con consider this a question of internal security, they will not act on the causes of the phenomenon. And this means that you are going to have uh, migrants trying to achieve Italy and Europe in any way, in very dangerous ways, and many people will die. I think that that's a, actually it's the time for starting a new approach, understanding that we need a different kind of measures, working of uh, short, middle, and long terms in order to, to uh, you know, treating this, this phenomenon in a proper way. Ferdinando, let, let me ask you, why is this such a problem specifically for Italy? Is it simply because of the fact that Lampedusa uh, is the southernmost tip of, of Europe, that, that it is an entry point, or are there other underlying issues that must be contended with as well? Well, uh, uh, what you said uh, before about the figures, it's correct. Uh, to my knowledge, this year we had something like 130,000 people arriving from outside Europe, which is at least as much as the double of uh, the year before. But the, the figures are high, but in my view, they are manageable. The problem is that in the case of Italy, most of these arrivals are concentrated in one single place, which is an island, a very small island, uh, which is between the borders of Tunisia and the uh, southern borders of Sicily, not too far from the coast of Tunisia, very easy to reach. Uh, this implies a mediatic effect, which is disastrous. When you have a day like yesterday, when you have something like 7,000 people arriving in the same day, the uh, facilities of these small islands are not capable of managing such a huge number of people arriving altogether in one single day. So this is why there is this uh, incredible wave of emotions and political discussions about these arrivals. But again, what I would stress uh, is that these figures of people arriving to Italy and through Italy to the rest of Europe Mm. would be manageable if they were managed in a more solidaristic manner among all the countries of the European Union. So I hope that uh, we will find... Uh, not, it's not easy, because it's a very touchy and sensitive political mm. subject. It is everywhere in the world. But the only possibility is to diffuse these people in all the countries of Europe. And I think that uh, if the figures remain those that I've mentioned, they are still manageable, because our job markets need migrants from outside Europe. Uh, but there, um, you heard Ferdinando there say that uh, perhaps this could be more manageable if there was more solidarity from other European countries. EU law states that people must claim asylum in the country where they first arrive in Europe. Uh, and, and that's left a lot of southern EU member states like Italy um, demanding more help from, from, from neighbors, from other members uh, of the EU. Uh, in the past, Brussels had tried to uh, force um, other countries in the EU to take in a certain number of migrants based on the size of their population. From your point of view, from your experience, is that something that's ever actually worked? Um, definitely. It worked and it should work because what is the alternative? We have to look at the alternative. We are talking about 7,000 people arriving at Lampedusa, which is a pretty small island 
what is the limit where we say we have to do something? Yes, the law says that refugees or migrants should stay in the first country that they arrive to. This is the law that needs to be changed or modified or talked about somehow. Just because um, the southern uh, borders of Italy that are face uh, or or Europe in general facing a higher um, percentage of uh, migrations, it doesn't mean that others should not stand stand in solidarity like um, like what happened before and the. Um, this have been proven to to work somehow at least even if it's not perfect it's still better than what is what we have right now like uh the guest mentioned lambitosa is a very small the facility will not be able to contain all these people like if we're talking about 7000 what if we are talking about 10 or 15 or 70000 what will happen then people will it's not fair for the people who are crossing the sea it's not mm. fair for the people of islands or any anyone involved in the situation. It's not a good situation, and something definitely needs to be done. Uh, may it be mo modifying this uh, law, or talking about it, or um, discussing it, because certainly something must be done. Uh, Andrea, I, I saw you reacting to a lot of what Badr was saying there, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to go ahead and jump in. Uh, yes, I wanted to say that um, uh, this is not a, a secret, it's not a surprise that people are trying to achieve with Lampedusa, it's that they have been doing it for years. So actually what that the Italian government, maybe even with EU support, could do in the last years was to improve the quality of the facilities there, since we know that people are coming in different ways in different times. So the thing that now the facilities are overwhelmed is, of course, it's tragic, but it's not something unexpected. And no governments in the last years in Italy have been doing so much about that. It's something you can do without moving so much money and so many efforts at political level. The other part of the question, of course, is the EU solidarity, which is needed. But again, it's funny in a way to see that the, the, the countries in the European Union which are against this sort of solidarity are much more actually the governments of countries which are very close to Georgia Meloni's government and political party, which means Hungary and Poland for the first time, which means again that Meloni has also a, a, a political difficulty to, uh, to, to, mm. to, uh, you know, to deal with this problem. Mm. Uh, Andrea, since you brought up uh, Georgia Maloney, I actually did want to ask you a follow-up with regard to uh, the prime minister, because she was elected last year pledging to fight irregular immigration. But so far, she's really failed to curb the number of migrants who have been arriving in Italy. How is that impacting the way the public views her in Italy, and how is that impacting her base of support? Well, I can, it's hard to say so far, but I can imagine that she's not going to gain so much support in the next time. But of course, it's one thing to be in your position and, you know, criticizing everything what the others do. Another thing is to be in charge for living in a country and to face the problem and to try to find solutions to the same problems. This is just another thing. Of course, she's trying to do both. She's trying to, to, to develop a, a stronger and better relationship with the European Union. She was in Tunisia with the front the line the last month, as you mentioned, but it is not enough. We should, should think much more in terms of uh, European relationships, mainly with the, with the strongest uh, European countries and trying to find a common solution. But in order to do that, she needs to grow up to a different level of political involvement, I would say. 
Ferdinando, um, EU ministers negotiated a uh, migration deal earlier this year. It's, it's a deal that aims to ensure fair distribution of asylum seekers across the EU. Is it likely to be signed off on by the EU in, in 2024? Because reports have suggested that might be the case. Um, so do you think that's likely to happen? And, and, and if it were, would that dramatically help the situation? Or is there still going to be this kind of murky situation that has existed whenever these types of deals are signed in the past? To my knowledge, yes, there is an agreement in principle uh, uh, for a resettlement plan that should start with a number, with a total figure of up, up, up to 30,000 the first year and up to 60,000 migrants to be relocated or resettled in the third year of this plan. But uh, there are two countries which are opposing, strongly opposing this plan, and the two countries are Poland and Hungary. So there is, a, there is a negotiation with the parliament, which is ongoing. We don't know yet what will be the outcome of these negotiations. And there is this strong opposition by these two countries. It's true that the, uh, the pact, the regulation, can be adopted by a majority vote. But the fact that two countries, which, by the way, are also, in principle, should be allies of the Italian government, like Poland and Hungary, is still a, is still a threat to the actual practicability of this agreement. First remark. Second remark is that even though, even if this uh, agreement will actually work, uh, the numbers are very limited. Uh, if you consider the whole number of people that arrive to, to Europe from different uh, parts of the, of the rest of the world, these figures are very limited. They are even little more than symbolic. That would be something already, but not enough. Uh, Andrea, I saw you nodding to uh, some of what Fernando was saying there, and it looked again to me like you might want to jump in, so please go ahead. Yes, no, I agree. The, the thing is that we are dealing with uh, uh, big figures, with uh, a very global, not even only uh, European phenomenon, and uh, uh, the European Union is dealing with very low figures in the end. But what I still uh, uh, miss is, is a strategy. It's a European strategy on middle and long terms, I would say. Everybody's been talking about, uh, you know, uh, helping measures in Africa, in the, uh, the part of countries, and I still don't see them, as long as we are only trying to stop people, which is actually what Meloni said today, she wants to stop people from starting from leaving their countries, don't know how, how but that's what she said today, and still, as long as we are seeing this phenomenon in this way, I don't think that the European Union, Italy, or any other country is going to be any successful in this, in this, in this aim, actually. Uh, Andrea, when you talk about um, the prime minister expressing that they want to actually stop people from leaving countries, uh, this brings to mind something you mentioned a few minutes ago, which was the agreement, uh, uh, which I don't believe has been implemented yet, with Tunisia. Uh, you had the Italian prime minister going to Tunisia uh, earlier in the year. Um, do you believe that the framework for that is something that would actually help the situation? I don't think so, for two reasons. First, uh, the, the Tunisian government is not, at the moment, is not able to even control its own territory for many reasons. So I don't see how they could be able to, to manage, actually, uh, uh, you know, migrants to leave the country. And second point is that Tunisia, unfortunately, at the moment, is not granting fundamental rights in his own territory. So I don't see how even legally the European Union and Italy could consider Tunisia at the moment a possible partner for legally 
you know, managing migration and offering migrants a, a stable and safe place to remain, to stay instead of trying to achieve Europe. Uh, but there, uh, Germany has decided to stop taking in migrants from Italy until further notice. There had been an agreement in place, a voluntary agreement between both countries. And I want to ask you from your perspective, how much does that have the potential to complicate an already difficult situation? I think it's 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 very, very difficult, especially uh, looking at what happened last year with the war uh, in Ukraine. And we're seeing a lot of uh, refugees coming also from Ukraine to Germany. I think the numbers are around one million at, uh, at the moment, uh, which is not easy. So considering that, uh, I understand the the measures taken here. Um, however, hopefully that this is not a permanent and once uh, any kind of discussions about redistribution of the refugees who are right now in Italy or arriving in Italy will be taken into consideration because we know that uh, this has been done before. Hopefully, uh, I'm hopeful that this will be done again. Um, the, the feeling of people here, we see that a lot of people are willing to help. They want to help. They know that this is a, a humanitarian situation where it's uh, not optional. It's not um, moral to leave people uh, stuck in, in uh, places where they are not able to get help. And the people who are willing to help, they are not able to help anymore, uh, especially when we're talking about bigger numbers. But there, let me ask you this. Uh, I, I've spent a, a bit of time in, in Lampedusa reporting on migrants uh, trying to cross the Mediterranean and get there. I, I've been to many places in Europe, uh, spoken to many refugees and, and migrants. And, and, and one of the things they've told me over the years is, is that they are so desperate that they are willing to try anything. As you said earlier in the program, uh, that they have nothing to lose. Um, a lot of them feel that if they continue to stay in their own country, they will either continue to suffer and be poor and, and not have a job, or they could die as a result of violence and warfare. I want to ask you if you believe that there are policymakers in Europe who actually understand this, because time and again, we see agreements being put in place, focusing, as we said earlier, on, on security and other framework deals. Um, but they aren't working. People are still continuing to try to cross the sea to try to get there by any way possible. Do you believe that there are people in government in any of these countries who are actually taking that into account and perhaps realizing that something else needs to be done? I think so. I think they have been trying um, or they wanted to try. However, the, the pressure of dealing with the situation, of the situation that we have at hand, so me, meaning the refugees who are here already, making them integrate, uh, uh, getting them into production, um, dealing with this first was a priority. So in 2015, when um, the refugee crisis happened and uh, Germany received way too many uh, refugees at uh, in a very short period of time, the priority was to deal with this, how to do this at the, in the best situation, and then focus on why are these people leaving their homes, which is, in my opinion, like you mentioned, is the root cause that needs to be dealt with um, like uh, the guests mentioned, like with the uh, um, uh, discussions with Tunisia, hopefully that will work. And um, because uh, the alternative is simply not good. People die at, at sea. And even those who are, are who are arriving, they are not uh, facing the best situations. 
uh, especially again when we're talking about a bigger number and 7,000 at the moment. Um, I just want everyone to think, what if the number is much, much bigger? What will happen then? Fernando, uh, you heard in the past few minutes, uh, Andrea, uh, as well as Badr, talking about uh, the role that Tunisia currently is playing in all of this and the fact that uh, Italy and, and other European countries would like to uh, affect this deal with them to try to, to stop uh, migrants from uh, crossing the sea. I, I want to ask you about that because there is a, a debate, as I understand, among EU lawmakers right now, uh, many of them quite upset about the prospect uh, of a deal. Um, and, and, uh, and, and there is concern also about human, right vi human rights violations uh, uh, in Tunisia perhaps taking place. So I, I want to ask you how complicated this could be and, and if, from your perspective, there's a chance that this could actually work. Well, uh, to my knowledge, the deal or the agreement is not operational yet uh, for the very simple reason that the European Union, which had promised a disbursement of something like 900 million euro to Tunisia, but upon condition that the IMF in the meanwhile would have agreed uh, with a loan to Tunisia, which to my knowledge is not yet the case. So the whole agreement is still, to a certain extent, suspended. And this is one element which uh, need, needs to be taken into account. Second consideration is that, uh, unfortunately, I think that Tunisia, uh, yes, should try to uh, stop people leaving uh, from the Tunisia's coast. But uh, Tunisia does not have an interest in, in uh, keeping in its own territory these poor people that come from the uh, south, sub-Saharan Africa. And so they have an interest in trying to send them to the coast of Europe and practically through Italy. So it's complicated also to ask countries like Tunisia, but not only Tunisia, also Libya, to keep these people into their own territories. They don't have the means, they don't have the structures, they don't have the resources. And it's a burden for them, and it's understandable that they try to get rid of them, send them back to, to the coast of Europe, unfortunately, I'm afraid. It would seem a bit cynical, but I think this is a reality. And until Tunisia gets the money it had been promised to receive, I don't think that the agreement can be considered as operational. But that we don't have a, a lot of time left, but I, I want to leave you with the last word here. You know, Italy says that it's lacking support from Europe. Uh, the EU uh, says that it's ready to help. Uh, I want to ask you what you think could actually be done immediately or if there are concrete steps that could be taken that would actually make the situation improve dramatically? Well, at the moment, we uh, we have a problem talking about how this problem occurred um, can help in the future. At the moment, we have to focus at the humanitarian situation that uh, at Lampedusa or the southern um, uh, borders of uh, Europe in general, um, get those people the help they need, whether be it at uh, redistribution them um, fairly among countries that will um, stand in solidarity with uh, Italy or um, at least sending help in any way, shape or form to those people. The facilities at those places are simply not enough to contain this amount of people. And these are mm. people they need to help in any way, shape or form. All right, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Andrea De Petris, Badr Dabar, and Fernando Nelly Feroci. This episode was produced by Mohamed Al Aishi, Kara Legg, Fongi Nguyen, and Jimmy Gerahun. Studio sound was by Fadzil Yahya. 
program was edited by Alexander Otashevich, Lynn Nguyen, Vanessa Connolly, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next episode. Coming up on The Take, we ask how Libya will deal with the aftermath of catastrophic flooding that has killed about 100,000 people. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.